For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Pray with me. God, we come to you seeking your word today to understand what it means to be a people who are under grace. What, what does that look like for us, God? And so we ask now that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would illumine every heart in this room, Lord. I pray for uh, your anointing upon my own lips, Lord, that I would speak what you want said this morning. I pray that each and every heart would be able to receive what you have for all of us as individuals, Lord. And we thank you for being a good father and always having a word, a particular word for each of us. So we now ask that you would assist us in in opening our hearts uh, to receive that word from you with humility in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Facebook. <laughs> Good to have you all uh, with us today. Um, so the, the, the question that I want to ask today is, what does it mean to, to be under grace? So Paul, this, in this passage in Romans chapter 6, says you're not under the law. He's writing to Christians. He says you're under a grace. What does that mean? What is the issue going on in the passage? And what does it mean for our lives? So let's jump right in, shall we? So follow along in Romans chapter 6. We're not going to go through the whole passage. We'd be here all day, but um, we're going to look at a couple of the verses. So in, uh, in verse 18, Paul says the words, he says, you have been set free from sin. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to be set free from sin? Because um, there's a great uh, misunderstanding of sin, like in the Christian church, and uh, it's, it's pretty popular. And it's um, what I would say is just a reductionistic view of what sin is, and it is the belief that sin is bad deeds, right? And that's, that's it. Well, now that, that's a part of it, but it, the sin is a bigger thing than that. And so before we jump in to talk about what's the difference between sin and righteousness, let's kind of define uh, what what sin is now if you understand sin is just simply nothing but bad deeds you probably maybe might have a sort of a sterile cold view of christianity because you'll be under the assumption that christianity is about following a checklist of rules these are the sins i don't do them and these are the good things that i do and then when i die i'll get to go to heaven if i do the good things and not the bad things um, that's called Religion. <laughs> That's called religion. It is uh, a system of rules that doesn't have any power or re- real relationship with God. Now, I'm not condoning uh, lawlessness, as you'll see as we move on into this passage. But sin, um, the gospel is so much more exciting than that, right? The gospel is so much more exciting than following a list of rules, do's and don'ts, and thinking that uh, God primarily, his interest in me is that I do good things, Okay. That's that. Has anybody tried that lately to live that way? You'll be crushed under the weight of it. But the gospel is freedom and the gospel is so much more exciting than that. So sin is actually what I would call an influential power in the world. Sin is an influential power in the world, or we could even say that it's a state of being. Uh, Remember when uh, Cain killed his brother Abel? Before that, before he kills him, he has this little encounter with God in Genesis chapter 4. And God says to Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So see, God defines sin in this passage as an influential power that desires to have domain over our lives, dominion over our lives. Um, 
Fleming Rutledge, she's a, she's a very thoughtful, uh, well, uh, uh, academically trained Episcopal priest, and she wrote a book on the crucifixion of Jesus. It's a beautiful, uh, work. It's like 700 pages long. Awesome work, but she has a great chapter in it called The Gravity of Sin, and here's how she defines sin, and I think this is like the best words I've ever heard to def- define what sin actually is as, as a sort of power in the world. She says to be in sin, biblically speaking, means something very much more consequential than wrongdoing. Okay? She says it means being catastrophically separated from the eternal love of God. It means to be on the other side of an impassable barrier of exclusion from God's heavenly banquet. It means, now listen to this, it means to be helplessly trapped inside one's worst self, miserably aware of the chasm between the way we are and the way God intends us to be. (laughs) That's heavy, right? But it's a great definition because she's painting sin as a state of being, which is ultimately a state of being that's a separation from the life of God, separation from God's presence, separation from the eternal love of God. And so this is what that is, the state of sin. It's the state of all humankind apart from Christ. The Bible tells us we're born in that state. Unfortunately, we don't get to make a choice to be born or not born in that state. We're in our mother's womb. We're born into the state of sin, and we all kind of carry the sort of infection of it with us apart from Christ. But you see, what does it mean to be under grace? Grace, the gospel is all about God coming after us to pursue us in love, to rescue us from this state of sin. Okay? I was going to do this practice, but I probably won't for the social distancing thing. I was going to have everybody come stand up and go to one side. And I'm going to say, under here, you're like under the law and under sin. And I was going to have everybody move over here into this side and say, now you're under grace. So, right? so it's like a state or a, or a sort of uh, realm we, we could call sin and being under grace. And so when Jesus comes to rescue us and we put our trust in him, he actually delivers us from one state of being to another. He, does, he delivers us out from under sin power and dominion and he brings us into uh grace into the realm of grace so colossians uh chapter one uh puts it like this for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness right so think dominion a realm he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son hallelujah He's transferred us from one dominion into another. And this is what Paul's getting at in this passage. He's saying, what dominion does your life, your deeds and your actions and your manner of living demonstrate that you actually are a part of or live in? It's a very challenging passage. And it's meant to be. But Paul is writing to uh, the Christians in Rome here. And I believe what he's saying, he's saying that, that we're going to learn today is that grace is not like an object, right? There's uh, there's some popular sort of like Catholic theology out there that grace is this sort of object that you can harness from God if you do enough, you know, penance and things like that. Grace is not an object. It's actually, uh, it's a new state of existence. The Bible calls it to be a new creation, to be in a new dominion, to be in a new, a part of a new realm, really, God has transferred uh, you into, as we just read in Colossians. But the way we live our lives is a demonstration of whether or not we are truly in a state of grace, whether we truly, uh, truly or not live under grace as a part of God's new creation. This is the matter that's in the passage today, right? And G- by the way, Jesus has a lot to say about this too. Jesus and Paul, they both say things indicating that everyone who belongs to the community of faith is not necessarily truly in the faith as Paul calls it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says, right? 
So, and then Jesus has those, you know, those very uh, famous or maybe they're infamous words that are always make me tremble a little bit when I read them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven, right? So, um, we, 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 this is an important issue, I think, in our day to day because what we're seeing in the world literally is lawlessness is abounding. And we're see, Jesus said you're going to see a, a, ma- a, a, a the Bible tells us we're going to see a mass falling away of, of believers, people who, who claim to be in the faith but were not truly in the faith. And so I think it's important for us to wrestle with these things and what the Bible says because God wants to encourage us to stand strong and stand firm and continue to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. And he's going to equip us with everything we need to do that, right? It's grace that transforms us, grace that enables us to live very faithful lives. So this is both a challenging word, but it's also good news, as, as you'll see as we get into this. Um, so, but the way that you could look at the whole thing is like this. You could say that what the Bible teaches is that if you are really a friend of Jesus, your life will look like his. That's just, this is as simple as it is. If you really live under grace, your life will be transformed by that grace and you will live a righteous life. You will be a person who does the right thing and is in right relationship with God and with other people. Okay. So look at verse uh, 13 in the passage. Paul says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, right? So he's saying sin is something you can offer yourself to. So again, we see that idea of sin as a power, right? That has influence over us that leads to wrongdoing when we succumb to it. He says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God. Now listen, as those who have been brought from death to life, brought from death, to life, brought from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's saying this has happened for you. If it's really the case that this happened for you, live in alignment with it, right? So much of the Bible is about uh, learning or so much of the Christian life is about learning how to live out our identity as sons and daughters of God under the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay. And it's a process. It's a process of, of growth. Absolutely. Now, this is important. Uh, to, to hear, we need to, because it, you could read this passage the wrong way if you're not careful, but it's important for everyone to hear that we need to be uh, safeguarded against the idea that our salvation in Jesus Christ is flimsy based on how good of a job we're doing keeping the rules, right? Like, oh, today I'm in, I'm, I'm in hell because I, I'm out of grace because I messed up and now today I've done a really good job of serving my neighbor and uh, not being lustful and prideful, so I'm in heaven. You know, like thinking like that, we, it's, it's not flimsy, okay? It's not a flimsy thing, but at the same time, the Bible calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're actually people who live under grace if our life bears the fruit of what it really means to be a person who is under grace. Because if you're truly born again, as Jesus says, born anew of the Spirit, if that has truly happened for you, you've believed on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Bible tells us God has declared you Righteous. Righteous. He's declared you righteous. Karl Barth says, by faith we are what we are not. By faith in Jesus we are what we are not. God declares us righteous and blameless. But that righteousness declared over us will result in fruit of righteous living. Okay? But the final verdict, if you're in Christ, if you're united to Christ, the final verdict of judgment has already been proclaimed over you because he took what you should have got and he gave you what only he should have got. Righteousness, freedom, not guilty, innocence, blamelessness, right? He, there was that exchange on the cross 
Thanks be to God. But the problem is, you see, some people, they come, they say a sinner's prayer, they have a little feel-good conversionary experience, and they get the butterflies in their stomach for God, and they say a sinner's prayer, and then they go back to a life of sin and ungodliness. That, that's not a person who's actually been brought from death to life. That's a person who loved sin more than they loved Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not saying there's no hope for them to come back, right? But that, that, that in and of itself is not the fruit of a righteous life. Okay? Right, a fruit of a righteous life is a righteous life. Okay? You tracking with me? All right. 13. Um, he says, offer every part of yourself to him. So uh, followers of Jesus can't hold back a compartment of their lives. Jesus won't take half of your heart or three quarters of your heart or 99.9% of your heart. He wants the whole thing. Because he loves you and he knows that the only thing that will bring you into a true life of flourishing is to completely 100% belong to him, right? Remember all the people, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first I got to go do this. And he says, no, 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 no. You just come and follow me. (laughs) He wants all, he wants all of us and it means sacrifice. It will mean sacrifice. It will mean leaving other things behind. Uh, once and for all. There's some great scenes. I know I always talk about the chosen, the show, but there's some great scenes where Jesus calls people to follow him. And he calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. It's a very powerful scene. He just walks out of the tax booth and the Roman centurion's like, whoa, whoa, where are you going? And he's going, he's like, I've made my decision. I'm going to follow him. He just leaves it all behind. It's awesome. So it's a process. Yes. It's a process. Yes, learning to live a righteous life is a process. And yes, God is extremely patient with us. Thank God, because I would be toast by now, like a thousand times over. I would have been zapped, uh, discounted, disowned if God were not a merciful and gracious and patient God. It tells us in the Bible that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. He's a very good father. But you see, if we're tenaciously holding on to things or to a lifestyle that we know God is calling us to let go of, then we need to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith, if we're holding on to these idols that keep us from being all that God wants us to be, which is 100% surrendered. Okay? So our behavior and our lifestyle will reveal where our allegiance lies. Right? It reveals where our allegiance lies, either to the kingdom of this world or to the kingdom of God. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You've got to pick one or the other and, put, and throw it all in there. Throw it all into the, to one basket. Now, move down to verses uh, 17. Verse 17. Paul says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin... See, he's kind of speaking over these Christians. He's sort, sort of reminding them by declaration of what's happened to them. He says, Because though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. The teaching... Uh, that's now claimed your allegiance, right? The teaching of what, what is that of following Christ faithfully as a disciple of Christ. So he says, look, the sin, that's the old way of life. You used to be enslaved to it, right? Anyone, Jesus himself said anybody who sins is a slave to sin, right? If you live a life of sin, you're enslaved to sin. So Paul says you've been rescued out of that and you have been brought in to God's kingdom as an obedient, a person who's obedient to the teaching that you've handed on and it comes from your heart. Right? That is an important thing. But first, what does it mean to be set free? Right? In verse 18, Paul says you've been set free from sin. To be set free, right? There's like, think about the image of, uh, like a caged animal at a circus and someone sneaks in at night, right? Because the tiger's abused. It's like a movie storyline or something. I'm sure my kids have seen a movie like that. And the person sneaks in and they let the tiger out and he's free, right? It's something that has to be done for you. Right? That's grace. 
God sets us free from the enslavement to sin. He delivers us from that domain through the new birth. Through when we give our lives to Jesus and are filled with His Holy Spirit, baptized in water, we're set free. And He's given us a completely, completely new life. And we live under grace. But you see, it's God who has to change our hearts. Okay? Because there, there's this like idea of teeth gritting and sweat of the brow struggling to please God versus what the actual biblical view of the Christian life is, is like a resting in and surrendering to God and to what the Spirit of God is, is doing in us. It's a big difference. Okay? One is striving, one is surrendering, and there's a difference. So a heart that is truly uh, is fully trusting of Jesus to the point of surrender will be a heart in which righteousness is formed. This is what Paul is saying in the passage. And Jesus is that gentle voice that he says to us, Right? He doesn't say, you will follow all of these commands and then I will... No, Jesus is, is not like that. Jesus is, is like, bring your burdens to me. Right? Lay it down at my feet. Allow me to fight your battles against sin. Allow me to fight on your behalf. Come, rest in my presence and seek me for strength. Right? He wants us to be yoked to him in a relationship. He's not an a exacting, uh, demanding uh, judge who's standing over us. He wants friendship with us. That's the beautiful thing. This is why a life of righteousness is not a boring legalistic thing. Is because it's about walking in a daily relationship with Jesus. Amen? Say amen to that. Okay. So when we're abiding in Jesus, walking in close union with him, the influential power of sin loses its grip on us. You see how different that picture is than the idea of, all right, I gotta put my gloves on today to fight all the sin. I'm gonna strive. I'm really gonna do it today. And then how many times at the end of the day do you go, I failed again? Right? Because you are focusing on fighting sin in your own strength and not resting in His presence. Where there's purity and holiness and strength and rest. There's a big difference there. Let me give you like a practical example. So let's say at the, you realize at the end of the day, that you were gossiping about someone, that you had a sort of an accusing attitude towards someone and you said something to someone else, I can't believe that what she did. And then, so one response would be like, um, oh, I should probably ask forgiveness. I think that was probably a sin. All right, then you go and you ask forgiveness, right? That That's like being under law, right? It's sort of a sterile, cold, legalistic view of a life of righteousness. No, I did wrong, so I have to go confess my sin. And you, you're pretty much just going to stay in this uh, vicious cycle of like falling back into it. This was the state of things in the Old Testament for God's people, basically. They were under law. The law was good, but it trying to follow it amplified, it put a spotlight on their sin. It showed how unable they were to follow it. But we're not in that state anymore, right? We live in a new covenant where our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. We're clothed in His righteousness and filled with His Spirit and enabled to walk in the way that God has set before us because we're in union with Him. So big difference. So the other response would be like, I I gossiped about someone, Lord, I fell into something that grieves your heart. Like, I, I, give me, get, forgive me for that and, and help me, like, heal my heart of the, of the wounds that I have that made me, like, speak ill of this person and help, help me to, Lord, give me your heart for this person. That's just so hard for me to like, right? See the difference there? One is so sterile. God, please forgive me. I sin. And one is like, Lord, I'm in relationship with you and I'm, I'm sad because I grieved your heart, right? He's a father. That's how we relate, relate to him. Okay. So uh, living as slaves of righteousness, as Paul uh, puts it, 
is about our personal walk with the Lord Jesus. It's about how we share in His heart. We learn to love what He loves and disdain what He disdains. Okay, First John chapter 2 says this. Whoever, this was the beloved disciple of Jesus, John. He knew Jesus very well, laid his head on his chest and all that cute stuff. So he wrote this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, listen to what he says. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like, uh, wow, that's it? That's all, John? I just got to live like Jesus did? No problem. But remember, we do it in his strength. We do it under his grace, right? Under his patience, under his power. So look at the end of the passage, verse 23. Everybody's heard this verse, hopefully. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's sin's payout. Death. That's how sin pays. Okay? So in the immediate, feels good. I feel great. I'm doing this. Drinking, smoking, shooting, partying, sleeping, da 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 da. And it feels good. And it feels great in the immediate, maybe even feels right. But Paul says the payout of all of that is death. That's the check that you're going to get in the mail because it leads to self-destruction. It leads to separation from God. And then Proverbs chapter 14 says it really beautifully. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death, right? So many people in the world, they think they're on the right path, uh, but they're living apart from God and living in, in godlessness, and it feels good in the immediate. feels like, man, I'm free. I don't follow no God or no religion. I don't need any of that stuff. I am a free man. I am a free woman. I do what I please and I feel good about it. And it seems right. There will be a day when they realize it leads to death. Self-destruction. It's not what we were created for. We were created for communion with God. Created for loving fellowship with Him. But the loving fellowship with Him requires obedience to His life-giving commands. There's a lot of Christians trying to like live their Christian life, trying to see what they can skate by getting away with. God knows our hearts. That's why we pray the colic for purity every Sunday morning, from whom no secrets are hid, right? God, no secrets are hid from you, right? He lays open our hearts bare. So the good news is this. Paul says the gift of God, right, to live under grace, to live under the gift that God gives you in the person of his son is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is eternal life? Jesus tells us in John chapter 17. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Intimate, personal, knowing, knowledge, relationship with God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship and communion of his Holy Spirit. That's eternal life. You have it. It's yours. You're living in it. You're living with eternal life. You're living under grace. And so the call on our lives is to examine, be reflective. What are the things that are pulling me away from living a righteous life? What are the things that are keeping me out of deep, intimate communion 
with Jesus. Now, if you feel convicted or stirred, or perhaps even the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing, let me, if I may, give you some advice on how to act on that. That's a good thing. If you feel that, if you feel that in your heart today, that that sort of stirring and you're going, "Mm, man, there is some junk in my life. I'm not living like I'm a person under grace. Let me, let me give you some advice, if I could. Let me just read to you the, the one requirement that there is, the one thing you can do with that. These are words from our Lord. Jesus said, Come to me. Everybody say that with me. Come to me. All you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Sin is a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden to bear. That secret, carrying that secret with you of what goes on in private life. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We're restless. We're restless when we're, when we're living in sin because we know deep down in our hearts God does not approve of it. And then it's robbing us of life. And Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you, right? Link yourself to me and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What a gracious God. That's the heart of God. That's the center of his heart. Gentle and lowly. It doesn't say, come to me because I am demanding and exacting in heart. Come to me because I am rigorous and judgmental in heart. God says, come to me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's his heart for us. And that rest that Jesus spoke about that we find in him is the rest of the finished work of the cross. It's resting in what he did for us, bringing the secrets, the sins, the knowledge that we're not walking close with him and bringing that to him and laying it down at the cross and resting there. And he's eager to wipe us clean. The Bible's so clear about that. God is more eager to throw our sins into the depths of the sea and forget about them than we are to turn them over to him. And the enemy, his voice will come in and say, nope, you have to carry it on your own. You have to carry it on your own. You need to feel worse about this than you do, right? Repentance is not uh, always trying to feel as bad as you can about your sin. It's an objective decision to give it to Jesus and to turn away from it and to receive life in return, right? It's an exchange of death for life. Wherever you are, wherever you are, you're under grace. Live, live that way. Live that out and know that wherever you are, God, is, His heart is to call you closer. It's a merciful and gracious heart. It's proven at Calvary. Let's pray.
God, I pray for anyone who's uh, listening, watching on Facebook today, anyone who's here, Lord, in this sanctuary that has any kind of a heavy burden uh, carrying around uh, in the deepest closet, uh, in the deepest recesses of their soul, something unconfessed, something that still comes back every uh, so often, more often uh, than we'd like it to, and raises its nasty head. And we keep carrying it around, Lord, I pray that you would, in your grace and in your power, just cut that off. And Lord, just right now, I just pray that you would enable uh, people who need to make that decision to come to your cross, Jesus, to just come and just lay it there. So that there's, um, we're reminded, Lord, that your, what your word says is that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to turn our sin over to you and to rest in the finished work of your cross is to be in Christ Jesus. Lord, to be in relationship with you. What a beautiful thing. So, Lord, help us to yoke ourselves to you, to learn from you, to be so committed, 100% surrendered to the process of following you and to living out righteous lives in a world that needs to see the light of righteousness uh, where lawlessness and chaos abound so that we would draw others to you. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.